I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Hello and welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. And on this episode, we have Pete Wharton from Wharton Natural Infrastructure Consultants. So, Pete, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Thanks for having me, Richard. Good to see you. Yeah, and yourself, and yourself. We've had a little bit of a chat, pre-recording warm-up. So, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. So, um um, yeah, it should be good. It should be good. Yeah, it should be good. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about, I suppose, business owners. You know, uh, we're both business owners and what it takes to actually run a business, challenges, you know, the, the good stuff, the bad stuff. But before we start that, uh, let's let's start with yourself. So, you know, in your own words, introduce yourself and um, also about your company. Yeah, OK. Great. Great to see you again. Um, yeah, so I'm Pete Wharton, the director of Water Natural Infrastructure Consultants, um, which has come through various, uh, I suppose, uh, iterations over the years. Um, and yeah, just a, a bit of background about myself. So I got into the arboricultural industry age 16, um, and it was probably how people used to do it, a bit, a bit of an old school way. I was trying to find a job actually at the time in sports science. Um, so secondary school, when you're going through the GCSE A levels and you're um basically you've got a week's work experience um and my aim was to go and do sports science play rugby um professionally do all those kind of things as a as a young lad as i wanted to do um and then realized that a week before doing work experience there were no jobs there in terms of doing what i wanted to do so i was fortunate after i lived in shenton at the time near litchfield um and i happened to know quite a few people in the village and just wandered around to the local tree surgeons and asked if they needed a hand kind of lugging timber around or and it looked exciting like you're swinging around in trees and what more does the 16 year old want to do it's kind of reliving your youth completely um so yeah so i i, I did a week's work experience with them um, and realized it was good for many different things firstly um kind of it was exhilarating and got an adrenaline rush because they did put me up into trees as well um secondly it was fantastic for rugby training and fitness um because Back in those days, like health and safety was probably a little bit less. So actually you were basically like a competition who could carry the biggest logs up the gardens and things like that. Um, and the two guys, James Tonks and Jonathan Tonks, who uh, run the company, um, they they also played rugby as well. And they knew my brothers and knew our family. So, yeah, so it, it kind of, that's what got me into it. Um, and, yeah, kind of fast forward, I, I then went to... Um, Mysco College, University of Central Lancashire, studied a degree in arboriculture. Um, that took me from 2000 to 2004 um, with a placement in uh, Toowoomba in Australia, doing some uh, high voltage power line clearance, um, which was an interesting experience. Um, and randomly, it was only last month I was with a guy from Toowoomba who came over to this country. Um, so, yeah, so it's a small world when you kind of look at these kind of things, how people's paths cross again. Um, and yeah, and I, I carried on probably when I finished university and during university thinking I would be climbing for years. Um, I'm now 41 
and I'm pretty glad I made the decision to to kind of get out of climbing because, yeah, firstly, I don't think my body would have held up to it. But also when I look at um, the summer we've had this year and the rain and everything else, I was pretty happy in my office, I have to say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that, that was kind of um, where it all started. Um, did my degree, went into local government um, straight away. Um, and... Uh, as a tree officer down in Oxfordshire and then moved up to the planning department in Birmingham City Council, um, which yeah, has been in the news recently because of uh, financial issues that they've got there. But actually, it's one of the well, it's the largest single local authority in Europe. Um, it used to be the greenest local authority in Europe as well in terms of tree cover. Um, and it was a really exciting time there because it was massive development across the city. Um, and yeah, I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to help try and shape development with the use of green infrastructure, trees, ecology, those kind of things. Um, and then I moved into private practice um, and that was, it really kind of gave me an opportunity to see the difference between how local government works, where the pressure is different, the, the pressures for local government offices is very much like, um, around councillor pressure, planning application deadlines, those kind of things, but very often they'll get moved. Whereas going into the private sector in the company I actually joined, like Algara, it was very much around pressure from clients, financial delivery, reporting, and a real different structure and a, a very much a different pace of um, life. Um, and I did that for a while um, before actually at that point I'd made a decision that I was going to set up my own consultancy company. Um, and I moved actually back to my old job in Birmingham to... Uh, as a part-time role, but also to set up uh, what was at the time Water Narborough Culture. Um, and it was just a sole trading company, just myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked two jobs. I, I, I look back at it now and I, it was hard work living in a, a small two-up, two-down house um, with my wife, um, a dog, and I would go to work at Birmingham kind of 6 30 in the morning get home so i've done a full day's work and then it'll be straight on to my private work yeah and that went on for probably three years and i'd be up till one o'clock every morning working go to bed for five hours go back to work and it but actually i found it quite exhilarating um and you get to a point where you have to make a decision of are you going to go full time at it or do you carry on going down this route mm-hmm. um and I decided um, with kind of discussions with, with my wife, uh, Jen, we just moved house. We just had our first child um, and we stood on the driveway um, as I went off to work again. And we actually decided we've got three years to make this work um, because that's when our mortgage is up again. So we have to have a good salary by that point. And so turning over enough to actually take a good salary. Um and make it work for both of us because actually working two jobs with children was never going to work and it was, it was stressing me out ultimately as well yeah, yeah um so yeah so that's kind of where it all kind of came from oh great um, yeah. yeah that's fantastic no, it no, feels it's, like a long time ago it seems a long time ago yeah well i'm gonna take you right back actually to your gcse days so there was a lot yeah. of things that in there that actually picked that so i think it just just pulled out really so the first one was yeah you know as a 16 year old you know you're doing your um you're doing GCSEs, the uh, you know at yeah. school. 
Okay, so I mean the transition between school, obviously your you know that work placement you did, and then going into the college, the, the university up in, in, in Lancashire there. So in terms of your GCSE choices at that point, I mean, did, uh, what did you take? Were they a help or a hindrance in terms of your um, admission to um, university? Uh, they were they were a help in the end. So I was originally um, I decided I was going to leave and not probably do A levels at that point in time. After doing this week's uh, tree surgery course, I'd actually gone up to Myersco and met a chap called Dalgar O'Callaghan, um, who was the head of Myersco College at the time for the ARB section. And um, we went up there with my parents. I was going to go and do the uh, what would have been the A level, so it wouldn't be B Tech. I can't. Uh, probably the national diploma, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just going to do it to become a climber because I'd just fallen in love with this kind of industry. And it was, so he was happy to take me on. Like we'd, I'd gone and met him and everything else, but he pulled my parents to one side at the end of it and just said, please tell him to go and get his A-levels, get some sciences, come back and do the degree because mm-hmm. that is basically who we need in the industry. Um, and my parents came back and they it was like that awkward conversation as a 16 year old i was probably grunting um i think i'd probably found alcohol by then because we used to drink a little bit younger i was certainly smoking um and all those kind of things so i i kind of already made my plan that i was leaving home at 16 and going to live in Moscow, uh, which was a bit mad really um anyway they sat me down and they said look why don't you have a look at your gcse wait for your results then make a decision on those a levels and I fortunately came out with uh, all my science, everything about the C and above. Um, but I got my sciences at a high, quite a high level. Um, and I'd done individual sciences, maths, um, all the standard ones and music and what have you, and graphic design. Um, so then I went to into A-levels to do environmental science, biology, and graphics as well. Right. Um, and that's kind of really where it then mm-hmm. kind of took off from, ultimately, because I, I think I'd realized at that point the arboricultural or environmental sector was certainly the industry I was going to go into. Um, But weirdly, there was never, and there still isn't, I don't think, there was never a mention that landscape architecture could be an option, ecology could be an option, arboriculture could be an option. So it it was just by luck that three or four people in the village where I lived all went to Myersco College as well, but 15 years beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's sometimes yeah. it, it does come down to that. You know, that's um, you know, say the comprehensive system. I don't know if you went to comprehensive, but you know, it, it's it's yeah, yeah. it can you know, it, it's obviously it can be a good thing. Can be a, you know, it depends upon the school you go to. So it's a little bit yeah. of luck in that aspect. But in terms of obviously you know creating your own luck, you know, obviously the opportunities within your your village, the people you knew, mm-hmm. your contacts, then so. You, you've gone to you've gone to college. You got those A levels. Got up to university. What degree was it? Um, you you did, Pete? Uh, so it was just a boricultural uh, BSc honours in arboriculture. Okay. Yeah, and I think at that time they were just looking at the master's degree, which is now kind of up and running um, in urban forestry. But it was a it was a strange degree course, and I I, I remember talking to my friends who were doing more tradition. They'd gone down more of a traditional route, whether it be science or maths or something like that at university. And when I was saying to them, I was on I was on a course doing a degree, but I was still doing tree climb. I've been taught how to tree climb. Mm-hmm. They were like, "Is that really where you're going to be going after doing a degree?" Um, so it was, a, it was an interesting one, um, and I think actually, yeah, it, it worked for me. 
yeah. in terms of that rural nature of the campus, like being left alone and those kind of things. So, yeah, so it, it worked. Um, and I think it's improved since. Um, and I now go back up to Myersco and do some kind of guest lecturing and go and talk to the students, just try and work out where they're going to go in the industry. What are the opportunities? Because there's tenfold more opportunities now than what there was when I came into the industry. Okay, so that's great. So in terms of then, you know, you, you know, you moved on from the the, the university, then you got your degree, yeah. um, going into employment. You say so, so. You said you went to Australia and then to Birmingham. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I went Australia just as part of the degree course. It was like a placement here, yeah. so that was that was all kind of set up and sorted out by the university. And then I went after um, finishing the university. I it was actually at the time when Trees and Towns 2, which was Dr. Mark Johnson's um, publication, it was a second version of it, mm-hmm. was kind of underway. So I helped with the surveying of that. Um, so I did, a, I did a lot of the kind of uh, legwork on the surveys um, for that particular publication. And then a job came up in uh, Oxfordshire County Council at the time. Um, and I was, I was born in Oxford and actually it was quite nice going back to the city kind of where I was born and spend some time there because it's an absolutely fantastic place. Um, and I, I went into the first, I was the first tree officer mm-hmm. for the county council um, and two of us joined on the same day. Um, and yeah, I'm still in contact with those people. So it is a, it's like a small, we've all gone our separate ways, but we're all still in contact with each other quite regularly. Um, and actually my lad Herbie, he's also called his lad Herbie. Um, and we meet each other now on the rugby pitch every Sunday morning because ah, yes. they also live in Stratford again. So, yeah, so it's all, <laughs> it all kind of comes back around, doesn't it? Excellent. Um, yeah, so I went straight into local government. Right. Um, so in terms of then, as I say, you know, local governments, then into the private sector there. So looking at the, you know, the, you know, moving from, you know, GCC, A-level, um, you know, degree course into employment, yeah. the skills that I suppose you've acquired over those years um you know what is what do you see or believe to be the most important skills you've learned over the, over that course of your you know your your life so far or, or that time yeah. should I say um confidence in your own ability um pushing yourself out of the out of what would be your comfort zone huge a huge thing um because and I'm sure Pete, I I speak to people regularly now and the big thing that they they're getting faced with is they they've got the qualification for a job, but the big thing is experience. Yeah. Um, so it's actually how are you interpreting your experience and how are you putting that over to the employee because actually or the employer because um, actually it's very difficult on a piece of paper to do that yeah. um, because very often we'll, you've got like a set criteria and and it's really interesting like we at Water now very much will employ based on kind of personality on their skills kind of communication those kind of things and communication is critical as well um and it was something that i learned from quite a young age um because I, I think i started i got my first job when i was 13 so i was actually having to communicate with people all the time then so i was, I was quite happy doing it uh, so i think it's kind of that comfort zone push yourself out of your comfort zone all the time um achieve something celebrate it but then move on to the next thing really Okay, you mentioned there about say you know one of the I say skill, which I think it is a skill. You know, confidence is a skill. You can grow confidence and then you know adapt to it. You know, and, and increase it. Um, so in terms of your confidence and your ability, then, and you mentioned also about um, um, that uh, 
I suppose if I summarised it a little bit, we said you know, resilience, shall we say? Yeah, um, yeah. So, in some, how did you build up your confidence? Was it something that actually you know you, you deliberately decided to do, or is it something that's uh, you know that um, has just sort of drifted into your um, your mindset? Really, I think it's probably a bit of both. In all honesty, it, it kind of from a young age, I've been involved in a lot of different things in terms of clubs. Um, I've never had a problem talking to people, um, listening to people and just kind of going through that process. And it was something that was instilled into me as a kid um, to, to actually, I suppose it's respect. It's kind of all those different little things that actually formulate you when you're, when you're a young person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then reading is not my strong point. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm dyslexic. So reading is a real struggle for me. I can read music. I can do numbers, but reading words is very difficult. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Um, but I also, I suppose a lot of people that I socialize with, and I've still got all my schoolmates, we still go out together. And actually, so it's also those people who you socialize with. So, and I was socializing a lot with tree surgeons as well um, in the industry and just kind of keeping your ear to the ground ultimately. Yeah. Um, so then you've got a good rounded knowledge of different things. Um, and I think specifically, like, one of my favorite parts of interviewing people is to try and find out, well, what do they know about the wider industry? How, how can they see it developing? So actually kind of having some thoughts on that and not mm-hmm. being worried about providing an opinion or a thought on something. Um, there's nothing worse than being sat there in silence otherwise. No, no, indeed. I, I think, I think, I think one word, I think what's coming across uh, P here is that, is that uh, uh, obviously your sense of curiosity so it's like mm-hmm. you, you know you're you, you know you're trying to find what what's the worst going to happen, what's the best going to happen, what are the challenges, uh, but, yeah. but equally so, just the love of learning, whether that be you know in whatever format it is, and that that, come, that seems yeah. to come across there. So um, if you don't mind, let's, let's let's get let's jump forward then to okay, yeah. you know you, you're there, you're talking to your wife, okay, you think about set, you know you're doing this double job, it's not sustainable for the long term. You're going to make yeah. that jump into in terms of setting up your own business, you know, um, you know, how was it say, you know, building those bridges and just making sure that it works and testing viability. Yeah. So take us through that period, that that thought process of going, do you know what, we're going to do it. Um, I think I'd re- my main thought process was I'd realised I wanted some freedom, um, and I wanted the ability to pick and choose certain things I wanted to do. Um, and at that point in time, the business was set up only for me. So it was only set up to fund our family. It wasn't set up to employ anybody. It was set up because I wanted to go. I felt, I suppose, having read numerous hundreds of reports from other consultants, seeing how things were being done at the time, that actually there was an opportunity to develop the industry, to push it forward. The big thing we were facing was collaboration. Um, so we were still seen as the tree hugger, the person that got in the way, um, the people who would stop all development going on, and and I just thought, no, there's a different, there's a different way to doing this, and it and it kind of, and actually at that point in time, it was a fairly, it would have been a fairly significant change. So we went straight onto digital technology. We didn't like, I remember sat there sometimes like with protractor. Um, for those people who remember the old protractor, where you put your pencil in, your colour ground on a piece of um, tracing paper, and then you'd overlay different layouts and things like that. Before kind of CAD was mainstream, um, 
so we i went through all of that process but actually it just didn't work and it and i wanted to break down these barriers of actually i want to work with architects planning consultants to achieve something that we're all happy with not to be an afterthought um so and that's been something i've just pushed continue i push it now even um yeah so i at that point i i and i was also also at that point part of the arb association so i was sat on their committees um trying to push them as well so it was quite an interesting time but the, the conversation with my wife was right how much money do we need to live on how much money what does it look like in terms of we've got the overheads because i couldn't work from home because we had a young child yeah. what does that overhead look like for an office all these different things and then break it right down so how much work do i have to do and what does that look like um and do i need to sit there it was before the invention of facebook linkedin TikTok, Twitter, all these different things. So actually, how do we now go out and speak to people? Like, have we got to go and do postal kind of like send outs to people? Well, I've got to pick up the phone. I've got to make these contact, go back to these contacts that I've had as a tree officer and say, look, I'm out here now, but I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's, it was tricky, a challenge. Because it's, it's just, um, and also, just to add to all that, yeah. sorry, just to add to all of it, the business was actually set up three weeks before the uh, recession in 2008. 2008 so yes. we also went into probably the UK's mm. one of the UK's biggest recessions mm. pretty quickly afterwards. It's a, well, if you know, if you come through that, you know, you're obviously doing something right. So, uh, no, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait and see. Well, in terms of, because, you know, you say, um, I think one of the, I suppose it's, it's the value, you know, one reasons you set up your company was, you say, with that freedom. So give you an, mm. an opportunity to, you know, you know, do what you love doing, you know, focus upon yeah. the stuff you do. So that's, that, that's, I imagine that's come very much from, okay, well, I, I want to make, you know, a little bit of a purpose, want to make a difference in terms of your sector, the, you know, the, the, uh, arboricultural yeah. sector. Okay. But, yeah. Well, I mean, but how does that stand, you know, how do you stand in terms of that marketing and where, where did your marketing skills come from? Your business acumen skills, where did you acquire those? Or have you, you know, or, or how did you get them? See, I question whether I have them now or whether I have them. I think it's something you, if you're passionate about something and you want to do something, you don't just sit there. There's basically two times, two kind of types of people, aren't there? There's the valley people and the mountain people, um, as I look at it. And this was, um, this isn't my analogy at all. It was something that I heard. I was um, at a presentation with a chap called Frank Dix, who used to, he was basically Eddie Jones's right-hand man and leadership person um, for the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Yeah. But he's also now, I think he's one of the heads of World Athletics. He's he's kind of one of these people like Clive Woodward, like David Brails for those kind of people. Anyway, and the analogy is really you've got the Valley people, which kind of like just stay there. They want to just platter. They're quite happy doing that stuff and give them a piece of work, do the next piece of work, etc. And the mountain people are people who kind of, you kind of go up this mountain, you're looking at it, but then you're already thinking, well, what's the next challenge? What's the next thing beyond it? And actually those people are people who might say, well, okay, well, we need to go and speak to 20 people. Out of those 20 people, we might hear from 10 of them in a month's time. We might get one piece of work out of that. So you've got to work it backwards. And I think if you've got a real desire and passion to do it, then you just keep on speaking to these people. And you do a good job for somebody. And part of the whole relationship building was, I'm going to do a really good job for you because then you'll come back to me. Yeah. Um, and at the time, that development was different. Like in Birmingham, I did a lot of work in Birmingham, and it was really focused around smaller developers. And because we were in the middle of a recession, a lot of people were selling back garden land. So there was a big flurry 
of developing rear gardens for five or six houses. So we were involved in a lot of that kind of work. Um, and it takes time, it just takes patience, time and persistence. Okay. Okay. And in terms of then, as I say, you, you know, you, you're starting to grow this business or, uh, you know, this, uh, as a, as a sole trader and, uh, mm. you're growing it and it's, um, you know, so w- what was, the was there a particular tipping point you, you, that, that you came across that you went, actually, this is, you know, obviously a business has to be profitable, you know, profit is not yeah. a dirty word. So in terms of, you know, it becomes a profitable enterprise there. So when did you realize then that actually, do you know what, that actually I'm going to take this to the next level and become, I imagine, a limited company? Um, it was fairly quick that I decided to go into the limited company um, based on the fact that it would kind of, I didn't want to be responsible or everything held against our house and family and everything like that. So that was it was a fairly quick decision just to go into being a limited company. And it was a, well, not as easy as what it is now, but it was a fairly simple process. Company secretary, which happens to be my wife, and um, me as a kind of the director of the company. Um, and what it did at that time was also open up the avenue that you could take at the time when the business was set up, probably similar to yours, was you could take a really good dividend. Um, it was very tax efficient, um, all of these different things. So you're kind of learning all these little kind of nuances all the way through. Um, and this was all new stuff for me. Um, so it went quick, fairly quickly to that. Um, and then I suppose the next, it went how many years? I think Sebastian joined me probably in 2014. So I'd done quite a few years on my own. Yeah. Um, and you get to these like little tipping points, like you start paying yourself a good salary, everything else. You've got the freedom, but you're still going back and working 60, 70 hours a week. So actually at some point there's a tipping point of actually saying, well, can we bring somebody in? And it was kind of all of these things very much by fate. Sebastian had written to me um, asking if I had some part-time work because he needed a day out of his college course every week. And then he came in and he joined me um, and that was great. Um, And it worked well and it was a tipping point because we were getting so much work in and we were getting some bigger project work in that actually we needed that person just in the background doing other work as well. Yeah, and that was a a more, uh, so your first employee was a, uh, another um, a boricultural consultant is that, is that right? Yeah, uh, it was a, very much. A, um, he was a student placement to start off with, yeah. um, and he he stayed with me for God, up until just after the pandemic. Um, so twenty twenty one, I think he left. Um, it might have been twenty twenty, but he stayed with me for those years and developed into a really like, proficient consultant. Um, very, very good. Um, very kind of focused on the job in hand, uh, which was great. Um, and it was nice to see somebody develop. Indeed, yeah, yeah. No, and I think it's one of the rewarding parts of what we do, I think. But uh, in in terms of uh, okay, so you know, you you've grown the company. Uh, say you've gone through that recession in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know, I suppose you know, we're looking at this from like a business owner's point of view uh, clearly yeah. uh, and in terms of the mindset of a business owner because the you know you, you obviously there's plenty of freelance arborists arboriculturists um yeah. and of uh, ecologists and landscape um, architects of course out there so why you know why did you you know yeah I mean, it's a question to myself as well really but you know why did you choose to go down the you know, uh, employer route rather than the freelance because both give you freedom, don't they? They do. It was more that I suppose my ultimate goal 
was to create a really kind of collaborative kind of identity that people wanted to come into and it wasn't just people to employ people but and at that point i wasn't there was never a real growth plan but i wanted other companies to know they could come to us and they were going to get a similar service of we're not tree huggers we're not um we want to do it the right way but we want to also advise you and we want to be part of that kind of whole design team process and i was really focused on that um and so it had to be at that point you could only do it and also certain companies will only employ or work with people where they've got a couple of people working with them they can rely on capacity um they can rely on knowledge all those kind of things and i think i realized fairly quickly that once you start letting somebody down or a client down it's very difficult then to rebuild the relationship so actually as a sole trader or as a freelancer i was getting I was getting asked to do surveys for other consultants or I'd be asked to do them for like individuals. And I wasn't really getting, I suppose, job satisfaction mm-hmm. for looking at Mrs. Smith's side extension. Like I've seen a hundred of them. I didn't, I didn't want to be doing that. I wanted to have influence on much bigger scale projects. And, and I think you struggle to do that when you're on your own. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's, I think at that time it was just the right time to actually bring somebody in. We were under quite a lot of pressure, um, but yeah, so it's it's an interesting one. And, and again, like at that point in time, also I didn't really, I suppose you're winging it a little bit in terms of business skills and all those kind of things. And it goes back to I think it's the the E Myth um, book where they're talking about kind of technicians um, up to entrepreneur and then beyond it. And you're you're kind of like performing three roles throughout it and you're trying to keep everybody happy you're trying to do the finance you're trying to do the technical work you're trying to do marketing you're trying to and you just spread yourself too thin yeah um and you and you realize at that point actually to be able to compete in the market you've got to you've got to change what you're doing i think there's a lot of skills that uh, you know as business owners that um you know we i say either have naturally, uh, shall we say, you know, mm. I, I mean, you say naturally, it could have been influenced from, you know, childhood, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the environment around you, of course. But so, you know, you, you know, say about the curiosity and uh, the ability to speak to other people, communicate, have that confidence, you know, which, which, which puts you in good stead. But in terms of, you know, you know, the, the business skills, you just say that um, people, people look at business owners thinking they are the full, fully formed package. You've got everything there. You know, you, you've literally, you've gone to business school, you know, you've got, you, you know, you know, everything about marketing, sales, you know, uh, uh, finance, administration, you know, raising capital and, you know, and uh, you know, fleet <laughs> facilitation management and, uh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. all that stuff. People management, everything else. Yeah, yeah, you um, come as a complete package. So, you know, so uh, uh, it comes as a surprise to many people I talk to, they go, actually, do you know what? I have no idea what I was doing. I, I reckon you could speak to 99% of business owners and actually they've probably come from doing a very technical job that they love doing yeah. and they've probably been pushed into this job actually now that they had no clue at the time mm-hmm. and almost don't enjoy it quite as much as going back and doing like there's nothing better for me right now than going out and doing a tree survey yeah yeah because the yeah the levels of stress like it was probably not long ago i didn't have any gray hair and like <laughs> you you realize like you you have to wake up in the morning with a with that desire and drive to keep going yeah through thick and thin and it what it is you've got to keep going um and i and i think that's the the tricky bit but i think yeah people do look at it and think oh they must have done all these different courses and everything else i have mm-hmm. as with everything 
Um, like I've had rugby coaches, I've had triathlon coaches, I've got I've got a business coach because I I'm the first to accept. I don't know anything about business. I I do it how I want to do it, and also those values that were instilled. I come from a Quaker background, so it's very fair. And actually, so I I try and instill all of those values into what I do, um, and and I think that's a part of it as well. Um, is that yeah? And we don't sit on a pedestal or anything else like that. We're just trying to achieve an end goal and bring everybody with us. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a you know it's it's um you know I think it's one of those things that um, like we you know we develop as we go along in terms of uh, why we're doing it, a sense of purpose, and I think that has to be strong in order for us to actually achieve yeah. that. Um, uh, you know yeah. ourselves. Okay, so in terms of then you're growing the you're growing the company. Okay, okay, yeah. you're acquiring these skills. You you, you know you're learning from mistakes, and uh, you know uh, you you you're getting some good wins there. Now, yeah. I'll say, I mean, we'll, we'll go on to some of the sort of the, the skills you need as a business owner. You know, in terms of that, but you're growing a company. So take me through to yeah. now. You've grown from that you know that one employee. When did yeah. you decide? Actually, do you know what? I need to get maybe you know someone in finance admin in and then grow the team in order to what what it looks like today. Yeah, so it's interesting actually. So I I came from a, another company where I had basically a PA, and I don't think at that point in time I didn't appreciate her at all. I didn't realise how much she actually did for me when I and everything was hand drawn. So I'd like go onto site, be chucking it down around. And I'd give her a soggy piece of paper and she would like say, oh, I'll type that up for you. And it would just be done and it would be done there for me. And I just didn't appreciate it. So I was trying to do everything myself as we do, like trying to keep costs down, trying to increase profit, everything else. And so it was probably when we got to perhaps a team of four of us, four, perhaps five of us, I suddenly thought, you know what, I need some assistance here on the phones. Um just somebody to help orchestrate things a little bit um, and do the, I suppose it, if you're in rugby, it'd be like the backroom staff who are actually as important as those people who are going out, whether it be that they're organising surveys, whether it be they're taking, fielding some of those calls, like somebody's peed off with you basically and um, they, they want to understand or they want a project update or it might be just the very little things of like in the office, for example, we've always had an office because of, I just don't work particularly well at home. Just like making a cup of tea and coffee or they can see your chips are down and they just kind of like, they'll they'll just do something nice for you. Like they might get you a cake or they might just say, right, can I just help you with these things? It's so important. And they're things I had never really appreciated because I spent so many years on my own without that person. And if I was going to set up a business right today on my own, the first person I'd employ would be in somebody to help me without me. Um, before any technical person. Um, and we also realized we grew fairly quickly and what we were realizing our systems and processes weren't quite there. So you grow going on what you're doing and then you, and I think you're so focused on the technical element that actually you perhaps ne- neglect some of the more administrative work. Um, so yeah, so we, we found the apprenticeship scheme was brilliant. So bring somebody in who could help though it was part of their course it was funded by somebody else in part as well so it really worked well it like allowed me to dip my toe into administration um and i'm like the team will always laugh at me for that i'm i'm not really a systems or process driven person um i can um how do i describe it like i can i can basically throw the grenade in and just watch it explode mm-hmm. not on purpose but and then i'll just walk off 
And I think that's what a lot of directors tend to do is they, and people I've spoken to, they do, they come up with these ideas, throw them in and then just kind of like leave everybody else to kind of clear them up, which is not the right way to do it. So I've had to learn to become more process driven, more systemized in my own head. Um, yeah. So that's like the finance. We realize actually as you grow a company, cash flow is vital. Um, so having somebody else chasing up those invoices, it can get very personal if you're um, chasing invoices yourself. Yeah. You feel like, oh, what have I done wrong? Why aren't you paying me for what I've done? Um, so yeah, so bringing somebody in to do that um, has been has been really good. Um, and then you just kind of grow, and you have to. It's then listening to your team as well. Well, what 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 are the bits they're really good at? So let's build on those. What are the bits they absolutely hate about their job? And let's see what gaps we need to plug. Um, so yeah, that's it. And then it's finding the right people with the same similar mentality or have a similar balance who provided balance ultimately um, within the team. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, I mean, in, in terms of yours, what, what do you enjoy the most? I mean, obviously you say you love going out there and you know, surveying, you know, tree work and so forth. Okay. So yeah. Imagine that that is no longer an option to you. Okay. In no, terms no, of, no. <laughs> in terms of the, you know, the, you, you know, your business itself, where do you find your most, I suppose, any what you know, energy? You know, where where do you put your most of your energy in, or what ex- gives you that energy during like a, a week at work? Yeah, I love ideas. I love coming up with ideas. I like seeing them taken through to fruition. Um, I'm not the greatest starter and finisher. I'm very good at starting things. Yeah. Um, I I love seeing people develop. Uh, I really get, I do get a buzz out of it. Um, but on the back of that, on the rev- like the negative part of that is actually because of my own mind and my own, how I've done things, which was, um, and it was only through a lot of reflection, actually, I realized I, as a kid even, I would set this bar, but it was an unachievable bar because it kept on moving and moving and moving. So in my head, there's that unachievable bar. Like I will keep on moving the bar, yeah. but it's learning to take a step back from that and saying, actually, the team don't want that. They want to hit the bar, celebrate it, and then they can say, right, either we're consolidating or we can go to the next bar. And I think it's putting those in, and I've had to do a lot of kind of learning around that, around my own mind and how I do things mm. does not fit with probably 80, 80% of the people. And you'll probably find that with yourself. I know with other business owners, they're exactly the same. It's the, the drive is why you do it. Yeah. But actually other people just want consistency. They want to know what they're doing. Um, yeah, so I, I do. I love watching people develop. And like as much as um, I've seen people develop and then they – like it seems to be a, a bit of a theme sometimes. And you might see it yourself, you're like, you help develop these people and then they go and set up their own business. And there's two ways of looking at that. Either you can look at it and say, oh, I'm really peed off about that. Mm-hmm. Or actually, and the, it, there is a, a little bit of frustration to start with, but actually then you think, well, they've learned all that because they've come and worked here and we've given them the confidence perhaps. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's a, it's a really difficult one. But I did... I do enjoy um, the people side of things and communicating with people. Um, and then, like, I'm, sh- I'm sure you will have done this as well. Like, we we disc profile and we've done a big workshop as a company on it. So doing these psych- kind of psychometric texts to understand more about each other and understand the best way to communicate with people to get the best out of them. And also to, if there has to be a difficult conversation of actually how we can address it in the best way so it's a positive outcome for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's been quite interesting. Um, and 
I think interesting. I've done a few of these different profile testing, but my my natural state actually is to be introverted and be on my own. Um, so actually, and it might be the same for a lot of people. Actually, before I even walk into the office, I kind of stand there for five seconds at the door. If I know there's going to be loads of people, I have to take a big breath and just be like, oh, "Yes, I can. You can do this," and you can go and put that front, and then you come back out of into your normal state again. So yeah. it's quite a challenge. I think it is, yeah, and I think that's it. You know, it is a battle daily. Uh, you know, sometimes, and that's uh, you know, go mention that you know that disc profiling, for instance. That um, I think we we did it. We've done it historically. Uh, I've got a yeah. few. I've got a few issues with it with myself, really. That uh, you know that. Uh, it, it, what about your own profile? No, or no, about but, but how, you, it's used. how it's used, really. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I can see that it's, it's it, you know it it can it can help. You know, you know, you can say, you know, what you know that uh, most most people perceive business owners or uh, or directors to be fiery red. You know, you know they're, they're yeah, straight, yeah. you know, full fright. You know, get the action, get it done now. You know, don't don't pest me, get on with it. Things. You know, so most yeah. people have seen it like that, and when they come across someone who is, you know, more Yellow, uh, or, or maybe not yellow. I suppose, I suppose yeah, no, yellowy but, green, yeah. which is like uh, okay, yeah. caring about people. Uh, also, yeah. you know the the social, you know that that's um, that social side of things. You know, getting people motivated. Yeah. You know, they come go well. Why? That's not a leader. And you can have, as we know, you can be a leader in all those different areas. You, you can be an introvert. You can be an extrovert. Yeah. You, know, you can be highly technical. It's, you can be, you know, extremely bubbly. You know, and all of yeah. these people can be leaders of companies and uh, or, yeah, or managers. You know, obviously, and, and I, it's an interesting one that actually is because my I've done it for a few years and I've watched things just change. And actually, what I've realised with age is that I'm actually far more balanced. Balanced, yes. Yeah. So I'm far, like, mm-hmm. actually, and the people I am, I remember Graham Garrett, who was my first director, he was he was a leader, but he was really level-headed. And actually, I really appreciated that levelness, like nothing was going to fluster him. And that's that's what you want to be, like this, like somebody who's not going to be flustered by these things, who can calm things down when needed, but also can have the excitement as well when needed. Um, yeah, so I think it, it's a challenge. Um, and none of these things are perfect. No, 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 no. I think that's it. I mean, uh, people look up to um, you know yourself, you know, as you know the 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 the, the leader of, of a company. You know, you are a leader, uh, as in you know for obviously guidance, inspiration, and um, you know they. I suppose an employee will perceive a a, a, a leader uh, as yeah. uh, you know the ones who I say are calm under pressure, know what they're doing can make strategic decisions no not a problem doing that at all and uh yet yeah, underneath i don't know about you but there's a bubbling you go oh, i don't know if I'm, this is right i have no idea but i'm gonna go it's with called, it anyway perturbation isn't it yeah 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 that's it <laughs> you know i think we all yeah, yeah, we no, all still suffer from like procrastination and uh you know that yeah. a little bit of imposter syndrome at sometimes as well so uh, yeah completely <laughs> every day of my life that's, uh, yeah that's what it's all about yeah so in terms of then uh, okay so you know you've grown the company now so i mean it's not just a borough culture you do, isn't it? Isn't it now? So you know you are employing also uh, other disciplines, and tell us about um, yeah, how so that we, works in terms of the you know the, the multi sort of um, disciplinary practice. Yes. So primarily, we are a borough culture and ecology. Um, and interestingly, yeah, now the like revenue and the size of the ecology team has overtaken our borough cultural team, and that's no great surprise. We like there's so much change going on in the ecology world. It's exciting. Um, loads of opportunity. Um, so yeah, and then we kind of have close relationships with other 
consultancies as well for landscape um where we work closely with mood landscape and yeah so it's all about for me it was about relationship building with these people um and yeah we we want to focus like one of my key focuses has always been through employment is we don't want to be those people who just continue to say no get in the way we, you've got to find like ideas around it solutions around it um to actually you might just think out slightly differently or slightly outside the box to come up with that final idea um but also have the ability to uh, we're not we, what we don't want is people feeling that they've got to bend over backwards for these people. You've got to do it what's right, but it's about how you get to that marker. Um, and that very much for me is, was about having people who want to integrate within these other teams mm-hmm. um, to break down those barriers. So, yeah, so it's it's been, that's kind of one of the big drivers for me um, is have those people who want to do it. And I don't know about you, but I found like within the art world and the ecology world, people come into the industry because they're really passionate about it. Um, so there is a natural kind of affiliation to the natural environment and they don't want to see it lost. None of us want to see it lost um, or degraded away, but there's a balance between having to having to do what we do from a professional perspective and also enjoying what's around us. So I think there is a balancing act. And I, d- I don't think you see that in our industry so much. Um, I don't know. I've got two brothers. One's a lawyer, one's a, um an actress and i think if i ask them why they do their jobs it's probably for the uh the pound signs at the end of the month yeah as much as anything else i i, I don't know they might they might love doing what they do but i know they get paid an awful lot of money as well which helps um and i think actually when you look at our industry it's full of really great knowledgeable people um and sometimes it's tailoring that passion to, to reality because other people don't perhaps want to see it quite in the same way as you. Yeah. We, we, we talked about this prior to coming on, you know, in terms of the recording itself. But, you know, we talked about recruitment, yeah. the challenges we're having at the moment within the, within our sector. And, you know, you mentioned yeah. there about, um, you know, some people see dollars, you know, dollar signs, pound signs uh, themselves. And yeah. not many of us with all that. But it, it seems to be changing in terms of, I mean, I mean, it, let's go through your, your your challenges in terms of recruitment. Then you know, you obviously you know you love people management there, but how difficult is the landscape there for recruitment at the moment? Uh, the single biggest challenge the industry faces right now, and that's not only in I think that's across basically every sector. Um, and the reason being, well, I think there's a number of factors to this. Um, firstly we're not seeing still even like 20 years on of being in the industry getting into schools to get a next crop of people kind of coming through and realizing that there is an industry there like i'm really i'm in a fortunate position where my daughter is at school where they actually do an architectural degree uh, an architectural gcse which she's actually taken but they also within that they have like these are the jobs you could go and get well there's no mention of environmental architecture there's no mention of landscape architecture ecology environmental like all these things i've had a chat with them and just look i'll come into school and i'll have a chat with the pupils about it but they're the people who we're leaving whatever damage we do we're leaving it for them so we need them to be knowledgeable and coming through and wanting to see it as an industry um there seems to be uh and this is a kind of a very 
kind of uh, wide view, there is a bit of a skill shortage moving from consultant to senior level and senior mm -hmm. to principal. Mm -hmm. um, I and, I and I think I pro can probably say this because I'm not an ecologist, so I'm looking at it from a slightly different angle. There's a lot of fear in the industry um, of failure. There's a lot of fear around getting things wrong and being hauled over the coals by various institutes and what have you. Um, there's a fear about making a mistake and the impact that could have. And I think that fear actually quashes growth. Um, so I think, I think there's a few elements there. Um, I also feel that within the sector itself, there's a lot of people have been drawn to financial stability and I'm not surprised like since 2020, yeah. like all we've seen is increasing costs, cost of living, everything else, like money is going to be a key driver for people. Whatever anybody says, money is going to be a key driver. If you want to have a family, if you want to have um, a house, put food on your table sometimes money is going to be the underpinning part of that so when you've got these big kind of uh infrastructure projects just absorbing people and on an inflated salary because they just need bodies on the ground that doesn't matter about the cost what you're actually doing is you firstly not teaching them the people coming through but they also have an over exaggerated worth in terms of their the financial value because of they've been on a good um kind of remuneration yeah and actually they'll come into companies like yours and mine or any other kind of smaller practice and want that same salary but actually they, there's a high potential they'll have done one thing within as an assistant they would have gone out and surveyed newts bats um they will have potentially never written a report they will have potentially never had any client facing experience and actually, that's really difficult then to say to somebody, well, we've got to bring you back and then build up again yeah. because our structure is different. Um, so I think it, it's really difficult. Um, and I, I've got no answer to recruitment. We've been recruiting now for 12, 18 months and we are struggling. And I don't think we're a particularly bad company to come and work with. Um, we're fair, we pay reasonably well, just like every other, there's like brackets that everybody's using. We've got relatively good employee benefits. Um, we listen to our team. That's another key factor we want to listen. Okay, yeah, we, there is stress at this time of year, as you all know, with ecology based on the fact it comes to the end of the survey season, so the, the chips are down a little bit. But I just don't think there's enough drivers behind it all. Um, and then the other thing, I think that probably COVID contributed to was a lot of people just going freelance yeah and the free the freelance industry is now a booming kind of contracting industry um which again yeah is it it's it's got its place but i don't know whether it's just tilted the balance the wrong way right now yeah, I, I, you know, I agree. I mean, with all those points there, yeah, really, Pete. Yeah, that's, um, you know, we, we're just not seeing those. You know, we're seeing a small number of recruits coming through in terms of at the, mm -hmm. you know, entry level. Um, you know, I, yeah. I don't, you know, there seems to be there's there's some talent coming through there, but anything above that, uh, you're right. I mean, either there's no one, there's no movement, there's no the mobility within at the recruitment market at the moment, going from. Yeah. Uh, you know, consultant level, you know, um, uh, upwards, really. Yeah. Uh, and, and the people that do apply for those positions, as you say, uh, are, um, I, I can put this, yeah, 
Um, I mean, I mean, I, I don't blame anyone for trying to apply for a job. You know, that's a, 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 all done it. Yeah, above their level. But um, yeah, we we just you know, if you're recruiting for certain traits, for certain, certain skills, certain experience, yeah. and you know, and also in you got you got your incumbents. You got you got people who are really in that position within your company. Yeah. And if you're recruiting for a high level, and then you're just going to go, oh, we're desperate. We're going to recruit that person. I know we haven't got the skills, but we'll get them in. If I was an employee, yeah. I'd be going, why has Pete done that? You know, what about me? Yeah. What, 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 why, why have I been overlooked promotion? Right, doesn't trust me. I can't see you no know, career here. I'm off. So yeah. it's, it's yeah, yeah. Be, I mean, people, recruiters need to be very, be, you know, aware of, uh, uh, you know, recruiting just for the sake of, uh, you know, knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, I think so. And I, th I think the other thing that I've seen recently, actually, and it's happened within our company is that, people do consultancy and it can be quite a stressful industry yeah. um and in it can it can trigger different emotions and what have you and actually what we've seen is local government is actually providing fairly well-paid jobs now um and it's a different pressure so it goes back to that work-life balance and everything else and we've lost i think three or four people now back to local government because that's what they they felt they could make more of a change more of a difference in that world and have a, a different view on things so i think i think that's also another driver and i'm looking at like i was just speaking to somebody actually before coming on this this morning that like the government are now putting more funding into our borough culture um in terms of courses and funding those courses and what have you mm -hmm. and i and i think we're we're going to start to see more of that kind of thing as well so i think um yeah i think and particularly with BNG kind of coming forward, so biodiversity net gain coming forward, there's going to be a need for more people in local government as well. So I think there's there's many different competing factors. Um, yeah. yeah, it's there's no, I've got no answer. If I could wave a magic wand literally this minute, I know what I'd be doing and it would be trying to find, or not trying to find, but actually have the people there who are mm -hmm. firstly applying. So you actually get a choice, but also just to get people in and uh, yeah, working with us. Yeah, I think I think once people, I, mean, it, I, I don't know if there's also a fear of movement as well. So it's it's um, I mean, it, it's one of those double-edged swords that you know it's like, yeah. well, I'm not quite happy where I am, but it's not bad enough for me to leave. <laughs> so either yeah. something's keeping yeah. someone there, and as you say, it could be the salary. There's some, I mean, as you say, you know, salary is a very emotive subject. You know, it's that you know, mm. you, but you can always justify your worth. You know, it doesn't matter yep. what level you're on, you can always justify your worth and why you're worth more, you know, and uh, I think yep. we, can, we can all do that. But I say uh, some elements of this is not being very productive for the sector as a whole. I think it's very individualistic, yep. you know, that um, some companies yep. are, you know, um, profiteering from, 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 I think, um, you know, certain, certain schemes. Um, yeah. But you know, again, I may just have that's just me a question of sour grapes on my behalf. Maybe <laughs> just that. I, I think I think if you probably got ten directors in a room, they'd probably be fair, saying fairly similar things. Mm -hmm. um, and some people are very successful at recruitment. Um, there's yeah. no doubt about that. I watch it, um, and it, it, yeah, and it, I always kind of look at these things and think actually it will happen at the right time. The right person will come along. Right it will be fate. Mm -hmm. One of those things. And I, I've, I suppose I've always gone through things like that. That things, ha certain things happen for a reason, and actually, it'll either make it better or just create a new challenge. Okay, so um, you'd be very generous for your time. I think I could start to uh, wrap, wrap a few things up there, uh, actually, Pete. Now, so in terms of, um, okay, I mean, looking back on your your you know, extensive career, you know, and uh, you mm. know your your, uh, 
you know, say your development of your company itself. I mean, in terms of, uh, this is maybe a slightly difficult question, but, you know, if you could give advice to yourself, you know, maybe five, 10, 15 years back, um, what would you be saying to your, you know, your younger, sort of less informative self? Um, don't push so hard and don't don't assume everybody has the same mindset as you um and people learn and learn about people more so learn about that those kind of what we would probably used to have classed as soft skills those that people management stuff around understanding the people that you're actually employing and have real structure behind it um because not everybody works in the same way as me um i think something that came to fruition and i think i no, I can't guarantee it, but I'm I'm gonna I'll put it out there that I think a lot of directors do not look after their own mental health or mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think COVID, if you look at the resilience, was a word that came up earlier on. But if you look at like you start a business in 2008, that's pretty bad timing. You go through a recession, you come out the other side. You then start employing people. You come, you have the peaks and troughs of employing people, and then COVID hits, and all of a sudden you've got to make some fairly quick decisions. And while that's all going on, the stress levels are up here because you've got to fight your way through those things. Every day is changing. And actually, if you don't create the time for yourself, you you're, it will eventually catch up with you. And I think for me, I this is old school. And I'm like, as I said, I'm only 41, so I'm not that old. But I always used to look at mental health as just one of those things like just it was a bit soft it was a bit all these kind of things and actually i look at it completely differently now um that actually it's something you have to train you have to sit there and actually say right am i okay and that's all i have to be that's all you have to be is okay but to be able to look at you in the mirror and not be sat there or waking up at night and those kind of things because you just don't you feel a little bit out of control because there's so many external things happening um and I think, I think, yeah, directors, we probably don't do that enough, um, taking time. And also, it's, uh, I don't know if you find it the same. I'm a sole director. So it's a very solitary place. And people with this tree, they don't realize what, we were talking about perturbation a minute ago, but they don't see the bubbling kind of the, the stress levels rising. And if you do not do anything about it, then it, it will come back and basically bite in the backside. Um, and... Yeah, I, I, I kind of don't shy away from it anymore. Um, I, this summer has been that that point, that low point when I realised actually you've got to you've got to look after yourself a bit better, um, and that's not only a, a good thing to look back at, but it also helps the family because you miss things for the family and all those kind of things. So I think actually, yeah, the the one thing is actually speak to people. I think it would be really useful for kind of and I know we, we have forums and what have you, but actually to get if you've got ten directors in a room mm-hmm. like once a quarter and just like basically we're able to air frustrate you, I think you'd probably find similar kind of things. Actually you probably learn and grow out of that as well. Um so I think yeah and, and don't be scared of it. Um and also I think the other thing was I I was very much a perfectionist in my younger kind of life and that was drilled into me. I think putting that, I'd probably put that hindrance onto other people. Um, and I think probably realizing that it's not going to be perfect. And actually don't strive for perfection because you're only going to fail. Yeah. 
is actually not a bad way of looking at things because the stress levels of trying to get perfection is is pretty difficult. And I, yeah, so I think it's those difficult conversations around, it. and also a bit soul searching around, like what what happened in the, as, a, as a child, all those kind of things. They, that's what builds us as people. Um, yeah, so I think I think there's quite a few things there, but like mental health for me is probably the single the single biggest thing that I neglected until it was almost too late. And I think and I think everybody, if if every director looked at themselves in the mirror right now and said, what have we just been through in the last three years? Have we done okay? You'd probably turn around and say, yeah, do you know what? We've done all right. The industry's growing. We're hopefully growing as people. Um, and actually, let's now come together and, and move it forward. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, there's quite a few things there, but yeah, just... Deal with deal with those things and don't be afraid to talk about it. Blimey, I think that's the other thing that particularly males do very well mm-hmm. is we uh, we we cover it all up. That's uh, absolutely yeah. I mean, well said, actually, Pete. Yeah, I think it's um, you know one of those big. You're right. You know, we know we. You know, I know I get I get good days, get bad days, but it's it's. Um, I think it's the it's sort of the, it's it's. it's, it's uh, yeah, you do need someone to talk to, whether that be your partner at home, but you know, if, and but mm-hmm. equally so, sometimes you, that may not be an option. You know, as in, I don't want to burden that person with my. Or, yeah. or again, this emotionally, you know, this um, you know, feeling that oh, I don't want to bother someone, and well, actually, you do yeah. need to bother someone. Uh, and and I say, yeah. I mean, it's, it's your outlet, whether that be your partner, whether it be as you mentioned before. A, uh, a business coach, some sort of you know, yeah. some sort of counselor. You know, you call them business coaches, but they, they're counselors as well. They're counselors, yeah, they are, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I think interesting. The other, the other part of it is um, being slightly vulnerable and discussing it with your team as well. Mm. I don't, I, and I shied away from this guy. The, the team will look at a director; they're invincible. They they've got a shield around them. They will not quiver in anything. And some people will be like that. Um, and I have full admiration for those people. But actually, I think if the team, if you can communicate really well with your team about what you're going through as well, that actually the relationships start to build, then the trust builds, because they don't just see it as this like stonewall kind of thing. Um, yeah, so I think I think there's so many different things um, around all that. Um, yeah, so I'm... For me, it's now I don't, I don't really have a problem talking about these things either on kind of podcasts like this or to other people and trying to help other people, like just to, so they're aware as well that these things happen. Yeah, um, yeah. Good stuff. No, yeah. well, well, Pete, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I'm, I do apologise if we have to cut it uh, off at some point. You know, we can, we can carry yeah, on no, the no, conversation fine, after yeah. this, but um, yeah. yeah, maybe we do set up that group, and um, you know, for for for. For directors, business owners, and so forth to come along to and just uh, vent, talk about things, and uh, you know, you know, yeah. make the world a better place for uh, <laughs> at least at least an hour. Yeah, yeah, at least an hour. Yeah, the air might be blue, but um, yeah, we can uh, at least. I think it just it would show everybody they're not actually on their own on all, on this journey. We're on a similar journey. Um, yeah, just kind of have those conversations. But yeah, people might want to do it. People might not want to do it. But the options there. Fantastic. Well, well, Pete, thank you so much for joining me today on the Ecology Academy podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player, as that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of 
why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour. So stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.